I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, Biblical Encouragement for Women of All Ages. We are continuing with our Biblical Mindset series, and we're on the fourth episode unpacking biblical truths for relationships. My hope and prayer is that these principles will help you have a biblical mindset towards relationships, whether you're single, engaged, married. And this week specifically, I'd like to talk about preparing for marriage. So even if you already are married, I hope that you'll tuck these truths away because inevitably there will be a young woman in your life, or maybe you have someone in your life right now who desperately needs to hear the truth of God, and you might be the older woman that is called upon to speak truth into her life. So even if this season of preparing for marriage isn't the season that you are in, these truths are critical so that you can share them with others. It's such a lost concept, but a biblical concept for older women to pass on core biblical truths to younger women in their lives. Before we jump in, I wanted to encourage you to check out our Daily Thunder podcast. This is a daily podcast episode that my husband shares, Nathan Johnson and myself, where you really can gain just that daily reminder of soul-stirring, passionate truth. It's just a great way to really keep your focus on Christ in the midst of a world that is constantly trying to pull your focus away from him. So we'll link it in this podcast description. You can also go to ellerslie.com and click on Daily Thunder or find Daily Thunder in your favorite podcast platform. Let's talk about a biblical approach to preparing for marriage. In your single years, one of the critical questions to ask is this, Are you just looking for a future spouse that is a nice, solid, morally upright guy who goes to church and believes all the right things, or are you looking for someone who is all in for Jesus Christ? And that is a critical question because it's not that hard to find guys who just have decent morals and go to church, but it is rare to find a guy who is truly all in for Jesus Christ. When you read stories of men like Jim Elliott and Oswald Chambers and Hudson Taylor, do you look at those kind of men as like rare and thinking, well, I've never really find a guy with that kind of passion for Christ, so I'll just settle for whatever I see around me? Or are you willing to hold out for someone who is really completely surrendered to Jesus Christ? And on the flip side, what do you want a guy to notice when he sees you? Do you want him to see that you are just simply a nice, attractive, church-going girl or that Jesus Christ is your passion? And really, in any season of life, that needs to be our number one goal is that we're not just known for living a nice, good Christian life. We're known because of our passion for Jesus Christ, that he has all of us, our entire life, and we are radically devoted to him and we are fully available to him. I remember an experience that Eric and I had a number of years ago when we were invited to speak at a homeschool conference, and the young man who picked us up from the airport was the son of the founders of this homeschool conference, and he had kind of done everything by the book when it comes to a Christian homeschool family. He had made amazing grades and gotten a scholarship and won debate competitions, and now he had a really good job. And so the parents could think, well, that was a success when it comes to his homeschooling. But one thing that Eric and I noticed is that he had all the right credentials, but he did not have passion for Jesus Christ. And his life seemed sort of empty because even though he had a nice looking moral life on the outside, he wasn't fully available to God and Jesus Christ was not the center of his existence. And we just made a note of that thinking in our own children, we need to remember how important that is to cultivate a passion for Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing in our marriages, in our parenting, and in our single years. 
I want to take a few minutes to read an article that was written for our Set Apart magazine a number of years ago, and it was written by an anonymous warrior poet, an anonymous godly guy who contributed to our magazine. And it was so well said that I think it just applies so beautifully to the topic that we're on. The article is called, Why I Don't Want to Marry a Quote Church Girl. And the way he expresses this is so important when we're talking about those single years and preparing for marriage. Here's what he writes. Here is my confession. I don't want to marry a church girl. There, I said it. I grew up in the church and was accustomed to the typical youth group culture where everyone flirted, paired off, and yet talked about saving themselves for their future spouses. It was the only thing I knew, having never seen anything different, but it didn't sit right with me. Here's a little background. I didn't date in high school, and by the time I got into college, I was continually bombarded by friends and sweet grandmothers in the church who would point to someone and ask why I didn't pursue Miss So-and-so. Looking back, I guess it was merely another layer of the modern church culture. We need to push the single godly guy to pursue the damsel in distress. I mean, wouldn't they just be perfect together? My problem was when I looked at Miss So-and-so, I wasn't impressed or awestruck. She was just a church girl. The problem with church girls, let me clarify something right up front. You should go to church. It's important to be in fellowship with other believers, sharing life, encouraging, exhorting one another, and pointing each other to Christ. Church is important. Yet the problem with too many Christians is that we assume that punching the time clock down at the church each week makes us righteous, spiritual, or holy. Yes, attending church is important, but it's the life lived outside the church walls that really counts. We often talk spiritual, but don't live it. We esteem a victorious and godly life, but fail to demonstrate it in our everyday life. We desire for Jesus to be at the center of our lives, but instead allow the world to take center stage. I've met far too many women who go to church on Sunday but live however they want throughout the week. There is a facade of godliness but a lack of spiritual passion and fruit. Yes, there may be evidence of a true spiritual life, but there is lack of hunger and deep desperation for Christ. You see, I don't want to marry such a girl. It's not that church girls are bad. I just don't want to marry one. The girl I want to marry. The girl I want to marry doesn't just go to church, but actually lives the Christian life. She doesn't simply esteem godliness. She exercises it. She doesn't talk about wanting to spend time in God's word or prayer. She continually does so. Here are the 13 characteristics I've noticed that mark a young woman as either being a church girl or a set-apart girl. For a church girl, prayer is a duty. She takes her Bible to church, but she's embarrassed to tell others about Jesus. She draws attention to herself. She serves with selfish motives. She hints and flirts with guys. She, she uses clothing to manipulate. She nags, complains, and is nitpicky. She lives with fickleness and inconsistency. She lacks eternal perspective. She runs spiritually for short sprints and then fades out. She builds her life around herself. She's desperate for male attention. A set-apart girl, on the other hand, delights to spend time in prayer. She longs to know Jesus more through his word. She can't help but share the gospel. She draws the focus of others to Jesus. She serves from a motive of genuine love. She guards her heart and emotions. She dresses with beautiful modesty. She encourages, uplifts, and refreshes others. She lives with eternal purpose and intention. She lives with eternal priorities. She runs with endurance the race set before her. She built her life around Jesus alone, and she waits for God to script her love story. I can clearly remember the first time I saw the girl I wanted to marry. I can't describe her physical attributes to you, how tall she is, what color of hair she has, or the style of clothing she wears, and so on, but I saw her and I was captivated. 
For the first time as I closed the book Set Apart Femininity, I had a clear picture of what she looked like. I had caught a glimpse of my future wife. I didn't see her face, but her life was a picture of servant-hearted givenness. She wasn't self-focused. Rather, she was obsessed with and wrapped up in Jesus. She took no thought for herself, but continually poured out her strength for others. She loved the word of God, spending time reading, studying, and memorizing its truth. She wasn't captured by culture, but stood boldly for Jesus. She was beautiful and stunning, not because she drew people's attention to herself or wore revealing clothing quite the opposite. She guarded her emotions, lived with decorum, and had an alluring mystique about her, and lived with a confident, strong, and daring faith. My future wife is a Christian, not the modern-day variety nor the one who claims to be religious. My future wife is an authentic, victorious, obsessed, all-in, fully given, set-apart Christian girl. And I can't wait to hold her hand at the front of the aisle and declare my love for her and thank her for not merely being a church girl. So that is the article, and the book he's referring to is my book, Set Apart Femininity, which is something I wrote a number of years ago, and it was just an exhortation to young women for going all in for Jesus, for going after Jesus with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when he read this book, he thought, that is a a picture of what I've been waiting for all of these years. Now, if you don't feel like you have the characteristics that are described in this article, that's not something to despair about or become self-condemning about. It's something to submit to God and say, Lord, shape me into someone who is truly passionate for you. Because it's not a list of rules like, okay, I need to delight in reading the word of God. I need to do all these things to be boldly in for Jesus. It doesn't happen when you make yourself a list of rules or a formula to follow. It happens when you pursue Jesus Christ with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And living as a set-apart girl who is all in for Jesus is the natural outflow. It's not something you rise up to. It's something he does in and through you when you yield your life to him. But the key truth is this, and the reason I love the article that this young man wrote is this. Marriage is meant to serve a higher purpose than merely companionship children, or even building a good, solid Christian home. Marriage is meant to be a reflection of our relationship with Christ. Marriage is meant to draw us closer to our true King. Marriage is meant to change the world for the glory of God. And because of this, we should be seeking after someone more than just a church guy. And a guy should be seeking after someone more than just a church girl. We need to be becoming the type of spouse that is all in for Jesus and seeking the type of spouse that is all in for Jesus. When I look at couples in history that really lived out this principle, I think of Don and Carol Richardson and the other couples that attended Prairie Bible Institute way back in the 50s and 60s when there was a missionary movement to the interior of New Guinea. These men and women, when they were first married, when they were first starting their families, were willing to put their lives at risk to go among people who had never even seen anyone from the outside world. They were living as Stone Age people. They were given over to just violence and treachery and cannibalism and every horrible type of lifestyle pattern you can imagine. And these young couples heard the call. They heard that these people in the interior of New Guinea had never heard the gospel and they willingly went. Don and Carol Richardson went to a very dangerous and unpredictable group of people who had been cannibals and they took their six-week-old baby because they were responding to the call of God. And because they recognized that their marriage was meant to serve a higher purpose. They were both all in for Jesus, and it wasn't just about their own comforts and their own happiness. That tribe was radically one for the glory of God. I think of Richard and Sabina Wormbrand during the time when the communists were taking over Romania right after the Second World War, how they were willing to give up their comfortable life together, and Richard stood for the glory of God and the protection of the Word of God, and it cost him years and years and years of being tortured in prison. 
chosen. And Sabina willingly allowed him to suffer for Christ and suffer herself for the glory of God. They recognized that their marriage wasn't just for their own happiness. It was for the glory of God, and they were all in for Jesus. I think of William and Catherine Booth, who co-founded the Salvation Army. They were a powerful force for the gospel because they recognized that marriage just wasn't about this little picture of domestic bliss. It was about the glory of God and spreading the gospel. And as they worked together to proclaim the glory of God and to win souls for Christ, they had a strong and vibrant marriage. And that's what you'll see in all of these couples. When they are living according to a higher purpose and Jesus Christ truly is their focal point and they are all in, radically in for Jesus, you will see a beautiful picture of marriage. Also, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot and the other couples where the men gave their lives to try to share the gospel with the Alka Indians, that's another amazing example of marriage being for a higher purpose than just our own happiness. Marriage is meant to be a reflection of God's love for us, his covenant with us, his desire for relationship with us, and to say, Lord, even our marriage, we surrender back to you. Use it for your glory. That is such a powerful way to approach marriage. And here's the key truth. Let's not just settle for, quote, good enough when it comes to who we're going to marry or what kind of spouse we want to become in those single years. Let's make a decision to wait for God's very best. Let's step into marriage for the glory of God alone and not merely for our own fulfillment. And when we have that attitude, I'm not just looking for a church guy, or I don't want to just be a church girl. I want Jesus to be my everything. That's when you truly see powerful marriages that change the world for Christ begin to form. Now, one question that has come up when I've been unpacking these truths with single young women is how do I get to know someone without just jumping headlong into a relationship? How do I really know whether a guy is just a church guy or he's truly passionate for Jesus Christ? And as I said in last week's episode, observation is often more important than interaction. Now think about that. Observation is often more important than interaction. We live in a culture that pressures us to say, well, if I'm interested in someone, I have to just interact with them. We have to go out on dates and we have to text all the time and we have to just build this friendship. That's the only way I'm going to get to know them. But you can find out who someone is a lot better when they don't know that they're under a spotlight, when they don't feel like they're being watched because their true character comes to the surface and they're not just trying to put on a facade. So ask God to give you opportunities to observe that person's spiritual focus and passion, to observe their relationships with others, with their families, with the body of Christ, to observe their life direction, how they handle responsibility, how they handle trials. That's such a critical first step into knowing who someone really is. And if you don't feel like you're getting a chance to observe them, then just go about the father's business, the opportunities he's put right in front of you to live the life he's called you to live and pray that he will open up the way for you to observe them, if that's something that he's doing in your life. When God is behind a relationship and you begin to see his fingerprints and feel his nudges to watch and observe, God is very capable of just opening our eyes to see things that help us reveal who a person really is. And that only can happen when we're truly abiding in Jesus Christ every day. And going back to that verse in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Remember that means he will shape the desires of our heart hearts to match his desires when we're truly delighting in him. So we begin to desire not just, oh, here's a godly guy that goes to church. I think he's good enough. I'll just settle for him. We begin to desire a man who is all in for Jesus and will challenge us to be all in for Jesus. 
Another key question that single women ask is, how do I know when God is behind a relationship or a friendship that's forming with a guy? And one of the most important criteria is is that it draws you closer to Christ and it helps you keep your focus on him. And that is something that my parents observed in my relationship with Eric. I had been friends with a lot of other guys prior to Eric, and it had always been a distraction in my life. And yet when Eric came along, my desire was for more of God. And I would find myself sitting in my room with my Bible, seeking after God after spending time with Eric because his passion for Christ was contagious, and I wanted to know God in the same way that he did. One important point here is to not mistake this idea of someone pointing you to Christ for just talking a lot about spiritual things. The relationship actually needs to draw you closer to Christ and spark a deeper passion for him, not just having spiritual conversations with another person. Another key is that a godly relationship honors those in a position of spiritual authority. Your parents, your pastors, your spiritual leaders are honored and supportive and brought into the whole process as opposed to pushed away and concerned and made to feel ostracized. It also honors those around you. It doesn't exclude others or make others feel uncomfortable in the way that you're approaching the friendship or the relationship. And another key is that it's always hallmarked by the peace of God. When it comes to figuring out what kind of person to marry, one of the best places to start is not by asking the question, is this person marriage material, but rather, am I truly marriage ready? Once you become marriage ready by God's standards, you will be far more quick to recognize when someone else is and far more quick to recognize when God really is building a relationship. Now, I just want to give a reminder from the article that we just read of what does it mean to become marriage ready, because it has to be an outflow of our spiritual lives. Prayer cannot be a duty. It needs to be a delight. We don't just want to take our Bible to church, but boldly stand for our faith and long to know Jesus more through his word. We don't want to just draw attention to ourselves, but point others to Jesus Christ. We don't want to be hinting and flirting with guys, but being set apart and and unavailable, as we talked about in the last episode, until God makes it clear that this is our future husband. Instead of building our lives around ourselves, we live with eternal purpose and intention, the desire to uplift and encourage and refresh others, to live with eternal priorities, and to put our lives entirely into God's hands. I encourage you to prayerfully look through that list and pray through that list alone with God and allow him to shine his searchlight on any area that is a little bit more church girl than set apart girl, if that makes sense. And it can also apply to married women or any season of our lives because it's easy to start out with passion for Christ and then just fall into a pattern of duty and obligation and just going through the motions of Christianity. In the word of God, we are told that we are never to be lacking in zeal, but to keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And that is a miracle God can do in our hearts when we say, Lord, I don't just want to slide into mediocrity and apathy. Let God fill you with spiritual passion in any area where it is lacking. Again, it's not something we can rise up to. It's something he needs to do within us by his grace. When we seek after him diligently, when we go after those things and say, Lord, fill me with all that you are, that will be the natural outflow. When it comes to being marriage ready, another key principle that I want to emphasize is the importance of honoring the spiritual authorities that God has given us. In our early years, when we're single, when we're under our parents' authority, it is so critical to honor their position, even when you don't see eye to eye with them, to trust that God can guide and direct them, that he has given them a special anointing for our lives, and that he can even change their heart. If he really is writing a love story, it's not going to breed discord and disunity 
unity with our spiritual authorities and with our parents. He is perfectly capable of writing a story that will build greater closeness, greater depth of intimacy with those key relationships in our lives and greater unity. If you're an adult living independently, the goal is to honor your parents for their wisdom and count them as teammates. It might look a little different from when you were a child or a teen living under their direct authority, but basically you still honor them. The transition might be one from obedience to one of respect and honor. And of course, our culture has ages where this is supposed to happen. Some say 18, some say 21. It really varies and it depends on the individual and God's timing, what God is doing in our lives. And we we aren't to take our cues from the culture. For some people, that transition happens at a younger age. For some people, it happens at an older age. It really depends on maturity and circumstances and spiritual dynamics, etc. But the key is that God has put key spiritual authorities in our life, leaders in our lives, and to try to barrel forward in this area without their input, without their guidance, without honoring them is kind of like trying to drive down the road without side view mirrors and rear view mirrors or any indication of of danger coming up behind us because we need those people that God has anointed to be sort of those caution points. Those when they, when they see a caution or they have a concern to take it seriously and to bring them into a position of honor. That doesn't mean to bring them into a position of control where it's like an arranged marriage. It just means to honor the position that God has given them instead of trying to push them away. Another key for pre-marriage relationships is to practice patience and self-control. As we've talked about in previous episodes, that we are not to rush ahead of God. And the key I would say here is don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry. We are so often impatient and in a hurry. But the Bible says that through faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. His timing is not usually our timing. Let's be willing to wait for his timing, no matter how long it takes, because his ways are perfect. His plans for us are good, and he only wants the very best for us. In our single years, the best focus we can have is to be busy about the father's business, not to postpone our happiness, not to put everything on hold until we finally get married, but to recognize he has a very specific purpose for every single day of our lives whether we are married or single. Let's be purposeful about being available to him, growing in him, going after him with passion. And when a love story flows out of passion for Jesus Christ and Jesus truly being given his rightful place as the guest of honor every step of the way in every season of a relationship, even before you start to get to know someone, that is when you will find God's very best. He still is in the business of writing amazing love stories when we leave the pen in his hands and we honor him and we invite him into the center of this area of our lives. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and that you've gleaned some helpful principles for the single years of your life and becoming marriage ready. If you'd like to go deeper into this topic, we do have an entire course called Becoming Marriage Ready that can kind of take you deeper into the biblical principles that we started talking about today. We'll link that in the podcast description. You can also check out many of the articles and other podcasts that we have at setapart.org. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.